thank you for those who've been covering these these subject matter in terms of worldliness. It's you want you want the subject to be practical and helpful enough to where it really applies to life, and we can stay in in the theoretical realm and you walk away with not really knowing how to make this work. It's a difficult subject because you 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 constantly have your own experience in mind. You have your own feelings of what seems appropriate, what doesn't. Obviously, you have. I guess I had a conversation since we were went to the family reunion yesterday with one of my daughters in the car yesterday about it because they found you know just kind of getting their their feedback on I guess some of the things the author said about checking with his girls and what their thoughts were on how they were trained in this area, what they were taught, and sometimes what you teach. You think it's clear, and then the kids tell you later, oh, yeah, this was terrible. You think, terrible? I thought we had a great time. I mean, so you, you don't know exactly the, the feedback you're, you're getting. It's not exactly what you, what you thought it was, what you experienced it to be. So I do want to, to be able to address the issue. I, my hand does a great job in a lot of things. I would certainly never put myself in a position to think that I, I know more or better or wiser in my approach. I do have a lot of experience with my girls, the way he does in the book. He mentioned some of that. I deal with it all the time in the school setting because dress is, is constantly, the modesty and what's appropriate is constantly addressed. So those things do come to bear. There are some things in the chapter I, I, I wouldn't have taken the approach that he did. So I'm not super comfortable with some of the emphasis. He spends a big part of the chapter on addressing the clothing issue from the point of view of telling women you should consider what men, how men respond to it. I know culturally that's that's difficult, but... At the same time, I don't think that's the primary thrust of where I would want to go with the subject. So I wasn't super comfortable with the way he approached the issue. But that being said, there are a number of challenges. And when you go on the idea of, uh, of worldliness, I want, I want to thank the three chapters we've covered already. Uh, if you're not, Hopefully, John felt, made you feel the pain of materialism. So, uh, and offerings are going to go up this Sunday you know, after, after that. I was going to have my girls come in and say, can you demonstrate what's appropriate, what's not? No, Dad. No, Dad. <laughs> so I didn't get that. So they're, they're – all right. There you go. So God, my heart, and, and close. Go online to our certain guidelines, you know, on to how, how to – how to draw the line in modesty. So where do you draw the line? Uh, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, what's two inches below the knee, two inches above the knee? I mean, what makes the modest line? Uh, there's obviously, uh, you know, the proper attire inside the church and some churches, and because of their sacred places, they put signs up and, you know, help people understand what's appropriate and what's not. And guys are not left out of this question, too, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so something was terribly wrong. There is certainly trends in clothing that... Uh, is that French fashion? That's not French fashion. <laughs> Mark, watch it now. I don't know. So there are certainly a lot of questions around the issue. I don't know. We are, as believers, going to constantly be out of step with society. 
I mean, we are, and in, in whether it be in our, in our perception of materialism, of, of what wealth means and the security that means, and, and in the area of, of clothing and modesty, those issues are we're going to be out of step with society. I, I put down three, you know, three reasons. Why, why does the question of modesty put believers so out of step with society? It should. I mean, we should be out of step with society. Why is that? And these are some of the key pieces that I've, I tried to instruct my, my daughters in. I checked with them to make sure maybe they should. I almost thought about bringing them in here just so that I could you know, keep me accountable. Dad, you never said that, or you know, I, you know, I don't know, but you can always check with them later. Um, now that they've gone through Mark Hager's counseling class, they're really wise, and they know how to respond to everything. And why, why does the question of modesty put us so out of step with, with society? Society is anti-God. I mean, their default position is being anti-God. They're not God-pleasers by any stretch of the imagination. Well, the measure of society's standards is personal, what makes me comfortable. So society's standards are going to be what makes me comfortable. Uh, We're constantly, there's that constant tension and I'm saying things sometimes, I know some of you are, are you're going to be raising these children. The book, Endless Chapter, 98% addresses women. Of course, it's not a woman issue, but the two passages that refer to modesty addresses women. Maybe that's one of the reasons for it, but I'm, I'm only going to reference those passages near the end. I'm going to come back to the initial question about, about dress and actually go back to the question one thing in Scripture that's always helpful is, well, where's the original dress? Where did dress begin in Scripture? I'm going to start there and really lay the foundation there and then, then apply some of that. So I'll put, I'll put just three, three areas. One, pleasing self versus pleasing God. Pleasing self versus pleasing God. It's, it's easy to make the, the issue of modesty contextual or to make it cultural. Had a, in our family dinner yesterday, my... Uh, or my aunts, up in years, talking about getting ready for church and how my grandfather says, because they, yeah, we care for, we care for grandfather for nine years. My grandmother passed away early 90s. He lived another nine years, and so my, my aunts took care of him every other, every few days they rotated and took place. Yeah, and he always wanted to be an hour early for church. And I'm preparing myself in the bathroom, putting my makeup on, and he would say, if you didn't have to look like Jezebel, we'd be at church on time. <laughs> so, like, you know. So there is a generational context there that can make... Uh... Yeah, today we say Madonna. <laughs> yeah, uh, we still might be 20 years behind. We might still... <laughs> That's right. Um... One thrust, certainly, the, the, one of the challenges we, we're going to have is pleasing self versus pleasing God. Is my ultimate desire and objective and goal is how do I please God? That question is challenging no matter what we do because that fixes a lot of our dilemmas and what we should do. What is pleasing unto the Lord? And, and you're going to have, of course, society pull in, in different uh, directions, and you're always going to have, always going to have, your flesh wanting Preeminence, always. 
the reason why even in a school setting there's constant push and tug of war with rules and guidelines and dress code is not because there's not appropriate dress code, it's because your flesh constantly wants preeminence. I want to do what I want to do, and I don't want anyone telling me what not to do. That's the initial, so your desire, first of all, that, that struggle is going to be constantly there. So it's not an issue with my kids necessarily where it's not just a simple issue of, well, what's, what's good clothing? You know, should you tuck your shirt in? Is that more appropriate? You wear a baseball cap in church. Well, you know, obviously there's a generation that gets, you know, you get triggered when you see a, a person wear a hat in church because that was so taboo. I mean, all these little things that, 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 that come into play and our, our emotions kick in, our experience kicks, kicks in, our history kicks in. But ultimately, we're always battling with someone not wanting to be told what they should or should not do. That's, uh, that's going to be the constant battle in my heart and mind. So I, my first and foremost desire is to be pleasing as unto the Lord, and that should be my one, my one drive. Uh, we should be driven by a desire to please God. That should be my own desire, my one desire, rather, my one goal, and my, my, one, my one pursuit. Worldly, value, worldly values versus biblical values. The world is not a reference point. And you'll hear constantly, or you hear from my kids, well, this, this is modest compared to. <laughs> compared to what? I mean, but compared to. So, you know, it could be a, a pool party. So is it a, you know, a, a one-piece bathing suit can be immodest if the slit is coming up to your armpits. You know, it's like, so it's like, you know, you have to, you can't draw the line and make those rules and regulations that are going to safeguard that. But you can't make your measure of comfort, well, this is normal. I mean, if you go on a college campus, what's normal is not what you want necessarily for your children. So you, you have to understand and, and right from the get-go forge your children and say, hey, my reference point, one, is I want to please the Lord. That's first and foremost. Not even pleasing your parents. If it make pleasing your parents your goal, then you've got a problem in the long run. You might have a short-term fix, but you have a long-term problem. So ultimately, are you pleasing the Lord too? What's your reference point? And, and third, sin awareness versus moral neutrality. Clothing is not neutral. There's, we're, not in a, we're not in a neutral moral society. We're not, no, there, there's the depravity of man. There's sin nature. We're not just in a, well, what you wear, one daughter is... We'll go back and forth, you know, so explain one question about something, and it wasn't really about clothing. It was something else about a young man, but that's his problem. He's got to deal with it. That's not my problem. Well, it may not be your problem, but you can't be totally unaware that there's a sin nature that drives uh, sin. You need to have a sin awareness. So one thing he does say in the book, yes, he does address the issue of, of uh, as a young lady, what's the perception of men are going lead them to temptation it's a, it's a slippery slope to go down there and, and purely make it an issue of are you going to cause a woman to I mean are you going to cause a man to to stumble but there needs to be a sin awareness and that thinking that somehow there's moral neutrality around around this issue so what do you think of when you think of the word modesty what comes to mind to you <clears throat> what's modesty Self-respect. What's one word that comes out in your Webster Google search is going to be propriety. Sense of humility. Sense of humility. One thing I think I think he uses the term in the book maybe, 
because I, I use different resources and just studying through it. So I'm not sure if he says or somebody else just about uh, modest is, is humility and dress. So in other words, uh, humility expressed through how you, how, you, how you dress. Different terms that we're using, modesty, <clears throat> for some people it has a negative connotation because it's been used as a tool to, you know, dress modestly means you shouldn't be wearing X, Y, and Z. Uh, I was in a, in a culture, in a conservative culture, where a missionary wife told, told us, well, you know, they don't wear pants so that they could be a, a good testimony uh, towards the, the unbelieving world. As when in reality, in a French culture, it meant nothing to them from a Christian point of view. So it wasn't like a Christian flags, you know, flying that you're wearing slacks or, or skirts. So there's this cultural misconception about, about things, but the, the, this idea that uh, there's a negative connotation with modesty, and there shouldn't be, obviously. Um, some might see it as legalistic when, uh, obviously, we're, we're, we're called to, to respond with wisdom and to dress in a way that is, brings, obviously, draws attention to the Lord and not to ourselves, and he talks about some of that. The Bible does address, you know, the Bible is not, uh, does not not address beauty and <clears throat> And brings attention to it, so we're not, we can't say that. Oh, you know, Scripture never addresses the idea of, of, of beauty. The Bible does underline beauty. As a matter of fact, when you, whenever Isaac well, um, is Rebecca is uh, going to Laban, her brother, and he says, "Oh, he gave her near was oh, um, ne, uh, ne, I'm trying to say ne, ne in French is nose, but you try and combine French and English to get his knees. You know, it doesn't work. So <laughs> try and get one or the other for you." Uh, but Genesis, he just talked about the woman is very beautiful, uh, and the servants he seen he had seen that she had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on her sister's arms. In other words, the idea that jewelry is is worldly and trying to put uh, be attractive or, or, or use makeup, you know, that's not what we're trying to say, and that's not what the, the discussion here is trying to decide is is jewelry worldly or is makeup worldly. The Bible brings attention to beauty. Uh, even Esther had a lovely figure and was beautiful. So the Bible doesn't uh, ignore that fact or act like there's a sinful aspect of it in and of itself. Though there is merit, of course, in uh, drawing attention away from physical appearance to godly appearance. <clears throat> Let's go to Genesis 3. I thought, and he doesn't do this, and I thought perhaps this would have been, I, I wish he had done this in Scripture. I'm telling you right now, this is, a lot, of, a lot of the what I've read that I've, I found helpful. I've read a number of things, but what I found helpful is Piper has a, a study on this subject. I, f- I found helpful, and I haven't seen other people do it in this way. I think the first the first question is where do we begin? In other words, where does clothing begin? Well, clothing begins when man was first clothed, and I think laying the foundation there in the time we're going to have to understand why clothing was there in the first place. And our response to that now and the underpinnings to it. So Genesis 3, verse verse 7. They sinned, right? Chapter 3, the serpent was more cunning than the beast of the field, verse 1. Well, the, the first response that you see in verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Now, uh, I'm going to work on that word because my wife says I don't say it correctly. I keep on saying naked. It's, it's, it's not naked, it's naked. So there must be a French 
influence there somewhere. But so if I if I slide, if I thank you, Phil. I feel better already. It's my southern roots, my mother's roots, right there. I say that in case I slide back and forth. It's not just Alzheimer's. It's so. Isn't it interesting that one of the first things they notice whenever after they sinned is the shame of being naked? What? Why is that? And, and Piper unpacks that. Now I'll discuss more, but given the time we have, I just I don't want to. We can't get in tons of discussions with it here. I just want to kind of lay out some of the things he says about it. One thing that's that's evident in the text is that they become immediately self-conscious about their bodies. Before sin, before man's rebellion against God, before the pride of man prompted him to want to be like God and the fall, there was no shame. Sin brought shame. Uh, as a matter of fact, interesting to see in Genesis 2.25, I'll mention it here, man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. In other words, he contrasts that in this chapter 2 to what happens afterwards when sin is introduced. Now there is shame. Sin introduced shame. And he, he shares that contrast uh, in, in Genesis chapter 3. So why shame now? In other words, what, what causes this shame? What's the root of the shame? And, and Piper discusses it. Others do it the same way. Basically, two things that were lost in sin and the fall that brought shame uh, and explains why clothing is important and then why they, of course, what's the first response they gave is they clothed themselves, right? And what, is, what, is, what did Christ do? What did God do, rather, when he came? He didn't say, oh, no, 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 you shouldn't be ashamed. What did he do? He, he improved on their clothing. So we'll, we'll look, at that, look, at, look at that briefly. So why shame now? The purpose and reason for clothing is established here. And as a, as a culture pushes back on this, it's interesting to see that it pushes back on the exact reason why we have clothing. The idea that I, don't, I should not be, and you'll hear this in some of the rhetoric, I've got nothing to be ashamed about. And this, this liberalism we have as being freedom we have of dressing the way we want is not tied to what culturally is acceptable or comfortable. It goes back to why we have clothes in the first place and why there is shame in that. And in society today, it says, I've got nothing to be ashamed about. I'm proud of my body, and there's no reason why I cannot expose it in any way, shape, or form that I desire. And we see the, the rebellion actually against God's, the moral reality of who we are now as a fallen creature. So why, why shame? Obviously, sin did not make them instantly ugly. It wasn't like, well, you know, we're ugly now. You know, we're sinful people. We're ugly. We need to cover ourselves up. But the innocent, trusting, and loving covenant collapsed here. Where there was innocence, where there was trust, where there was this covenantal relationship that was pure, undefiled, now has collapsed and fallen apart. This unbroken fellowship of love between man and woman and between man, woman, and God himself now has been broken. We see this in the fact that the immediate repercussions between man and woman and God as well as between man and woman, which means the immediate repercussions of sin is that they hid, they're ashamed, they want to cover themselves, and God, of course, comes and covers them as well. The immediate result and consequences of this broken relationship and this broken covenant. This covenant that had been established for their enjoyment, for their security, 
for the, the, in this loving relationship, all this was gone. And when sin was introduced, it broke the covenant between man and woman, as well as between humanity and God, as it all became corrupted. Two things were immediately lost in the fall. One, there was trust. Where there was fellowship and communion, walking with the Lord, trust was lost, and now trust is replaced with shame. The one viewing my nakedness is no longer trustworthy. There is no greater level of trust than to be fully exposed. And now in place of trust, there's what? There's shame. This self-consciousness of their own bodies now being exposed, being vulnerable to, to shame. Adam and Eve, when they became independent from God, and in doing so made themselves central in the place of God, in, in their own sin, they made themselves God. They made themselves central and of course, they want to be like God. They, in essence, have now become selfish people, self-centered people, both separated from God, not only in conflict with God, but in conflict with each other, right? Immediate cause of the fall is a division between them and God, but a division amongst themselves, and we see the consequences in Genesis listed as well. They are now each going to pursue their own selfish desires and their own selfish ambitions that 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 loving innocent trust that was established was violated and fell apart when sin was entered into the world and shame replaced the trust that was uh, present at creation they have now become selfish people from this day forward, and you see that in the immediate conflict, right? I mean, Adam and Eve immediately are bickering about who's responsible. And immediately we see that their natural, the relationship was naturally harmonious. Now natural becomes conflictual. He describes it by, from this day forward, from the sin moment forward, they're going to put each other's interests first. The reason why... Your marriage struggles the way it does, meaning there's natural conflict, is because we have our own natural self-interest at heart. Going back to the first three reasons why we're so out of step with society. We're, we're self-serving people. The flesh wants preeminence. He wants to be valued. He wants to be appreciated. He wants to be loved. He wants to be recognized. He, wants to, he doesn't want to die to self. I mean, die to the flesh. No, the flesh wants to be and have preeminence. So that's that is now has taken root in that relationship. We are no longer servants of the master. We serve now our own interest. And as such, we become vulnerable to our self-centeredness. The second thing he describes as being lost is communion. Trust was lost, and so was fellowship and the peace that comes with this. Communion with God is now broken. I'm guilty. I'm defiled. I'm unworthy. I experience shame, and I deservingly so experience shame. That shame is, is deserved. I've sinned. I've transgressed. I've violated that covenant relationship with God, and now that communion now is broken with the Lord. My shame now also comes from my unworthiness. Piper describes it in this way. He said, there's a gap between what I am and what I ought to be that now colors everything about me. He says, the thing about the clothing, the clothing is indicative of that gap of where, what we are now in sin and where we need to be, where we ought to be, meaning, of course, 
the, uh, the clothing that we will uh, have in Christ, right? Clothed in his, in his righteousness. But where there was once trust, where there was once innocence, there is now shame. The first response to the shame is to sew fig leaves together and make loincloths. I had a lot of pictures of that, but they were all a little bit inappropriate. So I passed on that. In an, in an effort to conceal what had happened, they tried to hide from each other, in a sense, and hide from God. We see it in, in verse 8, obviously, as part of that response. Not only did they sow the fig leaves in verse 8, they heard that they hid from God as well. Their nakedness felt too revealing and too vulnerable. Harmony, peace, and fellowship and trust has now been replaced by shame, selfishness, and guilt. So what is God's response? God's response in chapter 3, verse 21, says, The Lord God made Adam, Adam for his wife garments of skin and clothed him. So, first of all, and we could elaborate on all of these at, at length, and I'll, 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 I'll give you two practical clothing applications. I ran it by my girls. Do you, does this make sense to you? Just, I'm not going to tell you who's, who gave them because you may, you may not like that person. and then it'll, it'll, You'll throw it out. But... What, what's the significance of God coming in, seeing that they tried to now, in shame, clothe themselves, and now he's going to do what? He's going to clothe them. First, he's acknowledging and he's confirming that they are not what they were and that they're not what they ought to be. By him clothing them, he's confirming the shame that they feel and confirming it, validating that. Clothing is the appropriate response not so much to conceal their bodies, but to confess the reality of the moral fall. Clothing, first of all, isn't just to, to conceal the body. It was to confess and acknowledge now our, the moral state that we're in in the fall. Our, one practical application of this is that public nudity today... Here's, here's four applications. I've got five. I've got four. <laughs> one practical application... Of this is that public nudity today is not a return to innocence; it is a rebellion against moral reality. It's not a return to innocence and being proud of our bodies; it is rejecting the moral reality of what is missing and the moral reality of the fall. God ordains clothes to witness to the glory we have lost, and it is added rebellion to throw them off. It feeds into "I have nothing to be ashamed of; I'm proud of my body." Of course, we're, we're, we should be content and proud of who, of who we are in Christ, meaning he's, who he's created to be, short, tall, whatever it is, blue eyes, brown eyes, yes. But this is not what the common response is to clothing. Two, those who would make clothes a means of getting attention or a means of directing attention to what is under their clothes. What is appropriate is to call to simplicity, meaning simply, number, number two, Number three here, to those who would make clothes a means of getting attention, the point is not to draw attention to what is under the clothes, but is appropriate to draw attention to uh, what is, Piper describes it this way, what is uh, not under the clothes, but what is outside the clothes, which is our service, our worship, our praise, and obviously drawing uh, our attention to, to God. Here's the, here's the part about the last one. The animal skins were a witness to the glory we lost a confession that we are not what we should be and a testimony to what God himself one day 
would make us the way we ought to be. And in rejecting their own self-clothing, he showed mercy in providing a superior clothing. And together with the defeat of the serpent, we see in Genesis 3.15, God points to the day when he will solve the problem definitely by, uh, and solve the problem of our shame decisively by shedding his own blood and clothing us in his, in his righteousness. So the beauty of what God does in coming and clothing them is recognizing their shortcoming and the moral failure and, of course, ultimately what he will do in, in redemption. Two passages, briefly, you can go to, yes. First Peter 3 references, there's only really two passages that really reference modesty, and that's what most people are going to focus on, First Peter 3. Uh, <clears throat> and then... 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 2. The context of 1 Timothy 2, for example, is, is obviously the first one is, is instruction on how to worship in the house of God. And his, his concern in 1 Timothy is that we come not in a conflictual, but we're here to worship the Lord. Clothing is part of that, not drawing attention to ourselves, but drawing attention to the Lord. So I'll say this in a, in a, in a, in a practical application of here's what I tell my girls when it comes to how to clothe. One, understand that when we resist clothing, there's a, there's, a, there's a Genesis 3 explanation as to why the clothing issue is there, why we're clothed to begin in the first place. That's important. And when we push back against that, we're pushing back against that moral reality of, of the fall and God's redeeming work to come. Nancy DeMoss says this in, in, in two criteria. So if you don't like Nancy, what she says might still have value. But anyway, one... <clears throat> Women should avoid exposing intimate parts of the body. And women should avoid emphasizing private or alluring parts of the body. So what he's saying is two things here. This is where I've encouraged my daughters. One, understand why there's clothing to begin with. Understand the conflict from the beginning. Here's the three areas why we're out of step with society. Here's three reasons why we're out of step with society. And how do you practically decide, is this short, long, tight, fitting, etc.? One, if you're wearing something that's trying to draw attention to what's underneath those clothing, there's a problem. In other words, if you're wearing body, you know, if you're wearing, I don't know, I'm not going to give a specific example because uh, it, it, it pigeonholes people into one thought. But I, you shouldn't wear clothing that tries to draw attention to what's below the clothing. That's, that's the key piece. If you're trying to wear something that's trying to, in other words, if I, I think we get the picture. Right, <laughs> walking on on thin ice here. As it is with that. So, it's it, it's going to be one thing. It is about the book is good. As a father, you need to be involved in that discussion with your girls. He said one thing that's, that's good because I've had that discussion many times. You know, he, he describes the example where he went. The girls went uh, shopping all day and uh, are exhausted, and yet they don't have they don't come back with modest clothing because you're. You know, shopping all day and not finding the right solutions is not a, a license for immodesty. You know, so you're going to have that struggle because the world does not share our values. It is going to be difficult to find clothing that is appropriate and modest, that's not form-fitting, that's not revealing, that's not this. That's not, you're going to, because we're on a different set of values. That struggle is real. You need to assist in that, and you need to help navigate that. Don't. My mom made her own clothes. I still have scars from that. You know, <laughs> she felt like the soccer shorts are too revealing and everything, so she cut off pants for me and hammered out the goofball with these soccer shorts. I still have mental scars of that. She did the same thing we did swimming in school. She made my own bathing suit. I, 
I still have PTSD with that stuff. But uh, that explains a lot. It does. It does. Woo, rough days. But be be engaged and involved in, in educating your children on to understand why is why do we have clothing to begin with, and what is revealed when we push back against that, and and how do we uh, dress her in a way that is honoring as unto the Lord. So. It's so nice that we're out of time because there's no, no time for questions. <laughs> Let's go ahead and close in, close in prayer. Father, I, I thank you, Lord, that when you saw Adam and Eve, Lord, you clothed them. And we are thankful, Lord, for the promise of uh, victory over the serpent, victory to come, and that, Lord, we are clothed in your righteousness. What a beautiful hope and truth that is give us lord wisdom as we live in a society lord that wants to deny all shame because they don't recognize their own sinfulness that we might live and clothe and dress in a way that honors you lord in your name we pray amen